Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Hey, y'all. This is Josiah Gray, and this is Half Street High Heat. Hope you enjoy today's episode. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Half Street High Heat, our first episode after our series win, which, uh, you know, last episode we talked about the first win of the season coming a little bit sooner than may, we may have expected. And now the first series win coming definitely a little sooner than we expected. But I am Nick. You can follow me on Twitter at Nats Moose. I am joined by both my lovely co-hosts, Ryan at We Are All Shack and Amanda at A White 7877. And of course, follow the show at Half Street High Heat. Uh, my uh, my co-hosts, my friends, my colleagues, series win. How are we feeling? Feeling good. Uh, you know, I predicted we would get swept by Atlanta and we took two of three um, with so one extremely keep poor. The yes, keep fading the Nats. Well, one extremely poor performance in the middle, but I would take that for, for the two wins for sure. So feeling good. Right. Ryan, you were the, I was going to say you were the, uh, you know, pessimist, but you're in actuality, probably the realist on the last episode. How are you feeling now after two of three from the Braves? The early season Braves are the gift that just keeps on giving. <laughs> yes, this is true. Like it's it's no better time to play the Braves in the month of April. They get off to the slowest starts and that team just can't do anything right in April. And then every single year they just hit a switch at the same time. But, you know, it's it's good. Anytime you can go down when when they're giving out their um, they're giving out rings, which is actually a great giveaway. They give like replica rings to the first 40,000 fans are doing that three times this year. But Anytime you yeah. get a, a series win against a divisional opponent, it's it's always a great thing. Uh, embrace makes debate. Me sad that we didn't get to have any rings or fun stuff in the year. Uh, after the I month. Nick and I got a ring, got like five bucks off the internet. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, embrace debate. If they're giving out forty thousand rings, does it diminish the value of their rings? Ooh, makes it think because they're doing it, it three it times. Think. So in reality, it's yeah, twenty k. Yes. So if you think about it, that's what a hundred and 20,000 and then call it like another hundred for the players and staff. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that's like 120,000 world series wins. You're just diminishing the value of the world series win. I'll go with it. Yeah, I'll go with it. But yeah, I do feel jealous because they're getting to take their victory lap and enjoy it with their fans. And I do feel like we really, even before COVID shut everything down, there was the, you know, the whole story broke with the Astros cheating scandal. And that was all anybody wanted to talk about. And then COVID happened and it was just like the Nets got super screwed out of their, their world series uh, celebrations. Yeah. So, well, that, that segues perfectly into one of the many things we have to talk about that actually aren't even 
series like brave series related a lot of kind of news broke this week but before we get to that we're bringing back our quick pitch because something happened today and i need i need to know your guys thoughts i have a feeling we're all going to be on the same page but uh you know it is quick pitch for a reason for those that might not have seen the dodgers game today clayton kershaw yes he's still pitching he's not that old he's not amanda's age um clayton kershaw (laughs) (laughs) clayton kershaw uh, he dealt with some injuries last year, but it's still a very solid year. Was through seven perfect innings on 80 pitches today. 80 pitches. And it, it gets better. Seven perfect perfect innings. Already great. 80 pitches through seven innings. Fantastic. He had 13 strikeouts on 80 pitches through seven innings. And Dave Roberts pulls him. And the, the reliever... You know, no disrespect to him, but basically immediately gives up a hit. The, the Dodgers still won 7 nothing, so the shutout was intact. Kershaw got the win. He came out and said after the fact that it was the right move, da, 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 da. Like, like he's really going to come out and, you know, disagree with his manager, even if that's truly what he believed. Like, it, quick pitch. Basically, your thoughts on that. Was it the right move to pull Clayton Kershaw? Because for me, and, and – I saw a couple of other, you know, personalities on Twitter have this take. If it's no hitter, nah, it's fine. Like we saw you Darvish get pulled with no hitter. I believe, um, was it Sean Manaya a couple of days later for the Padres got pulled with the no hitter um, a couple of times or like it's, so it's already happened a couple of times this year. However, perfect game, very much different, you know, in the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of MLB games that have been played, there's only been 23 perfect games thrown. Clayton Kershaw does not have a perfect game on his resume. Now, does he need a perfect game to be a Hall of Famer and to cement his legacy? No, not at all. I mean, we've seen uh, Philip Umber throw a perfect game. We've seen Dallas Braden throw a perfect game. Again, no, no shot to them, but the perfect game doesn't really elevate you, you know, career-wise any more than just anything else. But it would be really cool to join such an exclusive club. Clayton Kershaw, one of the best pitchers of the generation, has kind of been forgotten because of all the injuries and just kind of lost in the shuffle because of how good the Dodgers are. I leave him in there. Uh, it's 80 pitches. I understand it's early in the season. Have a guy ready to go as soon as the first guy potentially gets on base. Then you go. I don't like the decision at all. And again, it's in the grand scheme of things, it's probably not that important, but. He was absolutely cruising. He had 13 strikeouts on 80 pitches. 80 pitches. What do you guys think? I hate it. Um, I think this is, it was just dreadful. There, Like you said, there are so few perfect games in MLB history and so few times that even the best pitchers that have ever pitched in this game have had the opportunity to, to complete a perfect game and to take that from him. He's not a, he's not a young pitcher. You know what I mean? Like if you had a guy out there who was in his first or second year and he's at 80 pitches in this, you know, in the first week of the season, maybe you go, yeah, it's not worth taking the risk. Kershaw has been around this game a long time. He can go more than 80 pitches and I, I just think, especially a guy who is nearing the end of his career, you don't take that opportunity away from him. And you, you know, like you said, have a guy up in the bullpen, have a guy waiting. And the first hit he gives up, get him out of there. But if you've got an opportunity to, to make history, you don't, you don't ruin it for the guy. And I hate it. And I, I, mean, I know what he said when he came out of the game, but I bet he's furious. 
I mean, yeah, he, like I said, he wouldn't say anything to the contrary. Like but he's, he's a not going to come out. Right. right. He's, he's not, not going to come out and go against his manager and front office and stuff. But Ryan, what are your thoughts? No, it was 100% the right decision. Um, first, part, first start of the season, every single guy pitching, they sit them down. They basically have a whole plan for how many pitches are going to be. You have to remember that it was a shortened spring training. So the first couple starts of the season are still spring training starts for pitchers. They're not stretched out. They're still in spring training mode. Their arms aren't fully ready. Kershaw's had injuries the last couple of years. You stick to the plan. You don't risk injury in the very first start of the season just because he has something going on. That team has very, very, very big goals this season. They need Kershaw healthy later in the season. They're not going to do anything to risk him getting hurt in the very first start of the season because he hadn't allowed anyone on base. I don't have an issue with it. First part of this first start of the season does not matter. It's more important how he's feeling later in the season and their arms aren't stretched out and it's a short and spring training. You got to prioritize health over absolutely everything. I think I'd agree with that. If he had been at a higher pitch count, I don't think at 80 pitches that he needed to come out of that game, but I mean, Ryan has a point. Like you see a lot of guys, um, who was I looking at today? That was through, Oh, I think it was like Merrill Kelly. And granted, that's not like a big, Clayton Kershaw name, but he was through, I believe, six against the Astros. He's a pitcher for the Diamondbacks, if you're not familiar with the name. Through six of the Diamondbacks, no runs, only a couple hits. His pitch count was only 80 or 79, and he came out, and it was a one-run game. So it's like – I get it. It's just perfect game. You know what I mean? It's perfect. And and again, like I get prioritizing and what you're saying, Ryan, and I, I can't disagree with it entirely, is that you prioritize the team over the player. And I get that, but I feel like a guy like Clayton Kershaw deserved the chance to try. And if that's Clayton Kershaw's spring training mode, my God, I what know, is he going to be, gonna be like, like when, yeah, when he gets to midseason form? Um, but no, Ryan's right. It's just as fans of the game and especially someone like Clayton Kershaw, uh, I would have liked to have seen it, but, you know. Yeah, I just think he deserved the opportunity. Yeah, it is what it is. It's one of those big what ifs so early in the season. I mean, it's game six for a lot of teams and we've already had two potential no hitters and one potential perfect game that, you know, are left as what ifs because the guys are pulled because of the shortened spring training. So maybe it's also because the hitting hasn't caught up because it's been a shortened spring training. That's certainly a possibility too, but it is cool seeing all these dominant pitching performances because you you've gotten so many three innings starts, four innings starts from guys. So Mixing in a nice dominant start here and there and, you know, keep, keeps me going. Mm-hmm. Keeps me speaking young. of three, four innings brings us right back to the Nats. Exactly. Let's recap <laughs> the brave series. Um, granted the starting pitching 67% of it was a lot better than the series prior against the Mets. Uh, Josh Rogers, Patrick Corbin, Josiah Gray went this series uh, still no more than five and five and a third. But I guess we're trending, sort of, I guess, a little, maybe. I don't know. And they were much better innings. Right. Josh Rogers uh, was kind of a, I don't want to say revelation, because he had some good starts at the end of last year. But, I mean, he, he didn't make the rotation out of camp. Should he have? Probably. But he didn't. Um, you know, Rizzo and company opted to go seemingly with Anibal Sanchez. That was never formally announced because Anibal is dealing with some sort of like neck injury or something, some sort of strain. So he hasn't been ready to go. Um, so they kind of left it up to the, you know, the last minute 
I think it was like day of they formally called up Josh Rogers, even though that's, you know, what everyone expected uh, to be the corresponding move for the first game against the, against the Braves. Uh, he, he looked great. Five and third innings. Uh, I believe it was just like one run. Um, I mean, Josh Rogers is, is, I hope doesn't sound like too much of a backhanded compliment, but, but he's, he's not going to be like an ace. He's not going to be like your guy, but he can do stuff like this. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't remember if we talked about it on the show or if it's on, you know, one of the spaces, but Josh Rogers can do similar things to like a, a good Eric Fetty, five innings, one or two runs. He's not going to rack up the strikeouts, but he can, he's a very manageable pitcher. Like he, he can keep you in a game and that's, you know, pretty much what you, you could expect from, from him on a good day. Whereas Annabelle Sanchez. And I, again, I don't even remember if I said this on the last episode, but uh, you know, he, he's typically a ceiling five inning pitcher. Granted, Josh Rogers only went one, you know, out more than that, but Honorable Sanchez's ceiling is very, very low. So I'd much rather continue to see these young guys like Josh Rogers uh, get opportunities, even if they're displacing the the vets that Rizzo and company might have seen occupying an important role on this team, like an Alcides Escobar, like a Honorable Sanchez, like whoever else. Um, and I'm sure you guys agree, but it's nice to actually see it come to fruition and be rewarded a little bit. Granted, they haven't announced anything formal regarding Josh Rogers position up with the big club, but it's hard to argue against the result, right? I mean, we've had such shoddy starting pitching performances early in the year mm-hmm. that getting a performance like that from Josh Rogers was nice. So that that's at the tone blew out the Braves game two. We have our presumed ace on the mound, Patrick Corbin. I, I assume if you're listening to this, you understand how that performance went. Uh, Ryan, like we uh, talked about earlier in the episode, uh, or actually that might've been before we started recording, um, put out a great article on Patrick Corbin today and kind of just analyzing what's changed between now and 2019. Um, well, <laughs> the funny has changed with Patrick Everything Corbin. Everything is then. the answer. To uh, that and then obviously Josiah Gray today, masterclass, five shutout innings, uh, one hit, Three walks, but two of those came late in the game or late in his outing, one hit by pitch. But again, no runs, one hit against the reigning World Series champions. I will take that. What are you guys' thoughts on the pitching performances this past series? I mean, Corbin aside, he's just – it's Corbin's a disaster. It, it, yeah, that's a whole different rabbit hole to dive down. I mean, like, that's just terrible. But, yeah, I mean – Josh Rogers did exactly what this team needed him to do. The offense was thriving as well. That took some of the pressure off of him. This team still doesn't have a quality start through the first seven games, but you know that might come and hurt this team in a little bit. But Rogers went out and did his thing. He's not going to blow anything by you. His fastball only averages 90. Um, he doesn't get much movement either, but he's able to locate his pitches. And if he can keep doing that, he will be an effective five. His ceiling is a five. Again, nothing against him. That's just type pitcher is. And you'll take that, honestly. If you can have a five go out there and give you five innings, three runs or less, you know, without getting blown up for eight runs here or there, that's a pretty, pretty fine guy to have. I definitely want him in there over Ambal Sanchez. And especially like even Rogers struggles. I said before, I'm going to say it again, young guys struggling, 
beats watching 37 year olds struggle any day of the week. Um, Gray looked great today. Absolutely love what I saw from him. Um, first four innings was absolutely fantastic. You know, he was touching 95 with his fastball. I was told results don't matter though. That's true. <laughs> results don't matter. His velocity was down big on this curveball and his slider. Don't really care about that too much. Uh, spin rate was down as well, but it was up on his curveball. So that's good. Cause he had a lot more movement on this curveball today than he did his last start. Fifth inning or so he's starting in a little trouble with command. Those are the growing pains you're going to see. But I mean, he showed the ceiling today. He got a lot of swing and miss. You know, he got a lot of whiffs as well, which is very good to see. Struggle with his fastball command like he always does, but five shutout innings, three walks, gave up what one hit to Ozzy Albies or sorry, two hits. And there's nothing you can complain about that. Like Josiah Gray showed his ceiling. It's just going to be up to Nats if they can get him there consistently. Yeah, I um I agree with what you say about Josh Rogers being a five on most teams on this team. I think he's maybe a three or a four because we have, you know, such a dearth of quality pitching in our starting rotation right now. Um, I, I really liked what I saw from him. He, he's just exceeding my expectations, which is nice to see. I would much rather see, as you just said, Ryan, a 27 year old, get out there and um, you know, do what he can do, which isn't, he's not a world beater. But if he can get out there and give you five innings every fifth day, then that's more than we can get from our, you know, our purported ace, you know, Patrick Corbin, who, uh, as you know, you read the article if you haven't already, but uh, he's, I don't honestly know how long they can keep trotting him out there every fifth day. I mean, they did it for the last two years and that contract is so, is so huge that you almost feel like they're obligated to it, but at some point, is there a point this year? I'd love for you guys to give me your thoughts on that. Is there a point this year at which they can't keep doing that? Like, do they have to move him to the bullpen? So he only pitches one or two innings and sees, you know, or as like a long reliever and only sees the order once, like how long can they, even on, in a re in a rebuild year that, that isn't expected to be competitive. Can you keep trotting him out there every fifth day? Yeah. Yes, because it's a rebuild and not competitive. And also they right. have about 90 million left in him. They're going to give him all the shots in the world. Yeah. Mm. Until this team proves itself to be formidable. Like this was a great series. It's been a great stretch of it's four fun. days. Well, three or four days. <laughs> yeah. um, it, it, it doesn't mean anything about this team. Like even the next eight days or whatever it is, which we'll talk about, you know, towards the end of the show versus the Pirates and the Diamondbacks. Even if you do well against those teams, it doesn't mean anything. No, not until you, you know, start division, some yeah, divisions opponents. and playoff spots are not locked up in April. It can impact, you know, your p- positioning in playoff spots and, you know, potential clinching scenarios, but they are not won in April. So mm-hmm. until that's what you always team, say, they can be lost in April. They can't be won in April. Right. <laughs> yeah. So until this team proves itself to be formidable, which would be August. You know, if they do this till August, then yeah, we got to start talking about him. But until then, like Ryan said, they're going to give him every shot in the world. They, there's too much money invested. Even to put him in the bullpen, there's too much money invested in him. It, it's and, and it's you, a terrible situation they have. You mentioned it, like without the, you know, guys on deck ready to replace him. The, there's there's nothing you can do. It, it sucks. If this team was really really good then yeah, they would move him to the bullpen and use him like the Dodgers use David Price. And that's kind of disrespectful to David Price because he's never been as bad as what Patrick Corbin is now. But 
the Dodgers are using David Price, a former Cy Young Award winner, still being paid like $30 million a year as a long reliever. And they don't care because they've got like a basic right, and they're they're the Dodgers, da 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 da. But the Nats have had high payrolls too, and I'm not trying to you know dive down that that rabbit hole or whatever. But if the Nats were good, that's something I could see them doing. But if they're seemingly not going to be competing, then you know there's it sucks on the day to day basis, but in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter to throw Patrick Corbin out there. If anything. You want to keep throwing him out there in the hopes that he gets it right and he, you know, either gets it so right that he can help your team accelerate the rebuild or gets it so right that you can trade him and get rid of the contract. That would be ideal. Yeah. So there's no real benefit right now to put him in the bullpen because it's better for you if he can just figure his shit out and, you know, recoup some of his value. It's just not fun to watch. That's for sure. No, no. Like it's I said, not the day a good to, product. The day to day is gonna suck, but it's still somehow always gonna be worth it for the potential that he regains form somehow. It's just kind of how it's gonna be, unfortunately. But yeah, Patrick Corbin was not good. Um, even the first. Well, I won't. I can't even say the first two innings because the the second inning kind of when everything went to shit. But his first inning, he got through clean, but it wasn't all that convincing. I guess it was mm-hmm. the third inning that went to shit. But so I'll say his first two innings because the second. Oh no, second inning he gave up three. First inning, like it wasn't all that convincing. He was still through one good one inning. clean <laughs> on like twenty seven pitches. So it's not like. Oh, it was just, you know, second guy got on, but one, three, and four were out. It, it, you know, it wasn't one of those innings. It was still a high stress inning. And I think, you know, he gave the three runs in the second and he was through, through two on like 47 or something. And then obviously he never made it through the third, but his pitch count was still very high. It, and it was like, tough. He, to he see just because, can't. Yeah, he can't. Do anything. Rogers had just, you know, Rogers had just had such a good outing the night before and you'd seen his pitch count stay so low as he got you know into the into the um, later innings and to watch you know Corbin who's making so much money and is supposed to be the best pitcher on the team just turn in such a, a worse performance than Josh Rogers it's just tough to take you know I just like I said I, th- I think I agree with you guys that there probably isn't any reason to put him in the bullpen but god does he not deserve a spot in the starting rotation right now no he doesn't and you know we could talk about it because he's going to continue to be out there so it's relevant but at the same time nothing's going to change because he's just making too much money to do anything else with him but put him out there in hopes that he gets her that's why the orioles played chris davis for so long there's nothing they could do so it it sucks but that's what it is yeah (laughs) that being said we are kind of seeing how the bullpen is developing now with a few more games under the the 2022 season belt. Um, so in that game, obviously Corbin goes out very early third inning, still one out to get Austin Voth comes in. So if you think about it, Austin Voth is like the lowest man on the totem pole. That's how I saw it. I understand a couple of guys pitched the night before. So that might've taken their names out of consideration, but right now I'm seeing Austin both as the low man on the totem pole, which isn't entirely unexpected because of how he's been performing, not just this year, but in years past, they've tried to make him start it. They've tried to make him a reliever. He hasn't been able to stick anywhere. 
So here he comes as, uh, you know, they're trying to give him a fireman role where it's just like, we don't care about what you do. Just eat innings, like try to bridge the, the starter to the, you know, seven, eight, nine the real innings. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he couldn't do that. He got the last out of the third, but then he completely blew up in the fourth and it, it just wasn't pretty. Like the Austin Voth experience is just not fun. He's he gets hit hard. Then comes Paolo Espino, who we kind of all expected to be the long reliever, potential six starter if you need him, spot start. He's fine in that role. And I actually like him in that role better than in the rotation because he went, he gave up three runs like both did, but he also did it over three innings, not all in one inning and exploded his pitch count. So Espino is going to have like a five ERA this year. If I had to put a number on it, he's at six, seven, five right now. But he's going to be in that fireman role, and that's that's fine because we're going to have plenty of those games, unfortunately, where we just need the fireman to come in and put out the fire or at least try to contain it a little bit more. And then obviously, D. Strange Gordon pitching was awesome. I, I was rooting for that early on. I love but, position players pitching. It's one of my favorite things in baseball. Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of the low man on the totem pole, but also just kind of, you know, carving out roles for some of these guys fat or flashback to Monday. We're up big. You see Hunter Harvey, um, Patrick Murphy and Victor Arano all pitch and they did well. Murphy gave up a run, but as a whole, they went three and uh, three in two thirds innings, five strikeouts, two hits, both by Murphy and one walk also by Murphy. So Murphy didn't have a great day, but you know, big, no pressure situations for Arano and Harvey, who Harvey was making his debut. Okay. Like that's what you want. Granted, they'll probably be one of them at least will be odd man out once the roster shrink again. And then you get to today, close game. You see your guys do a little C check Finnegan and Rainey, who I thought we were doing close the right committee, but it seems like Rainey is going to get all the cracks at the closer job. He did well today. Locked down the save only one hit relatively you know, uneventful, which we want out of a closer. Um, what are you guys' thoughts on the bullpen? Ryan, I know you were pretty skeptical of the bullpen, and rightfully so, but what are your thoughts now with a couple of nice performances under their belt? Yeah, bullpen's got some leaks in it, um, mainly Austin both and – well, mainly Austin both. I mean, <laughs> the, the experiment needs to end. He's faced yeah, 19 batters and 2.2 innings. That's – Rather atrocious, Espino is always going to have a role, just the type of pitcher he is that works. But honestly, through the first week of the season, genuinely surprised by how the bullpen has been yeah. looking. Um, hopefully it lasts. I don't know if it will. But Kyle Finnegan's looked pretty sharp at times as well. Dulo's looked really good. He's averaging 93 on this fastball this year, which is really, really great. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw, we've seen it before. It's- fastball is down to 80 so the fact that it's back up he's touching 95 that's really really positive signs if Doolittle can be you know anything close to average like what he normally is that'd be a huge get for this team I like Steve Ciszek Steve Ciszek is you know he's a proven guy in this league you know what he's going to do he looks solid all around like he always is he's going to finish the year probably not with the Nats but he'll finish the year with like a ERA slightly above three low one whip Ciszek is as strong as it gets Tanner Randy is bouncing back, which I like to see. I think he's fine. If I don't throw 100, he could be a little more effective. 
He's averaging 96, sorry, 95.6 on his fastball this year. He's being more effective with it. I think he's finally learning, hey, let me take a little bit off and I could be you know, a better pitcher, which is good to see. But I pretty much think those are going to be the guys that we're going to see the successes from this year in the bullpen. Finnegan, Doolittle, C-Sheck, and Rainey. Obviously, mm-hmm. relievers, there's going to be downtimes, but those four are going to be the guys to watch in this bullpen right now. I don't have high expectations for anyone else in this pen, but it's really, really encouraging knowing that, hey, and a bullpen on paper that had no talent whatsoever. So far, one week through the season when they've been kind of used a lot, four guys have looked pretty good, and that's a pretty big win for where this team's at right now. Yeah, absolutely. If you have, uh, I'm not going to call him a four-headed monster because that's just overselling it, but if you have four dependable guys, one, that helps you know everyone not get too worn out because – uh, in their spaces today, someone was talking about Doolittle and, you know, when's Davey going to drive him to the ground, which still is a very real concern. But Doolittle didn't have three other dependable guys the last time he was here when Davey drove him into the ground. Now that there seemingly are three dependable guys and maybe more, we're kind of potentially not kind of, but potentially sleeping on some other guys in the pen. Um, now that there's more guys and more help to go around, you don't have to pitch Doolittle every day. And the Nats are also not going to be competitive, so they probably won't be in as many close games as they were the last time Doolittle was was here. Not the last time he was here, but the last time he was effective in the 2019 season or, or whatever, seemingly effective. So hopefully that ex- extends the life of these pitchers' arms. But also for trade value purposes, I, I don't know that they're going to rotate Rainey out. Again, it seems like he's going to be the closer going forward. Um, but if you have guys that are all getting saves or all in high leverage situations, you can still trade some and still have guys on your team to fill that role. Once they're traded, I would probably trade all of them, but I understand Finnegan Rainey, they're under contract. So there's a little bit more incentive to keep them around post trade deadline. Whereas do little C-check. If they're still doing this at, in July, you better trade them. Like you better trade them, but Amanda, what are your thoughts? Uh, well, definitely an overperformance. Um, I did not have, I did not have high hopes for the bullpen. Um, love what I'm seeing from Doolittle. Um, one of my favorite stats to look at for relievers is batters faced in, you know, the number of innings they pitch both Finnegan and Doolittle have only faced six batters in the two innings that they pitched, which you can't do any better than that. So that's, you know, obviously that's not going to continue for the whole season, but it's very encouraging. Um, and you, you made a great point about hopefully Doolittle can, with a lower usage, can, you know, maintain this level of performance because um, obviously we know from his previous stint here that, you know, he doesn't do well after you, you overuse him. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about the guys that haven't been so great. Um, Andres Machado, has I mean he's not been awful or anything. I forgot he existed to be yeah. completely honest. He was he, one. He's well, I figured fireman role in my yeah. my opinion. And I figured since we already just went over, you guys both just talked about some of the guys who are doing well. And Mason Thompson, I wanted to bring up as well, who's now on the IL. Um, he wasn't looking so great before he went on the IL. I'm not sure what to expect from him. Um, Steve Ciszek, I feel like is probably going to be one of the best relievers we have in our pen and a great trade candidate later in the season, um, unless, you know, the Nats go on a miracle run. I know everybody's been tweeting like world series back on, we beat the Braves in a series, but in reality, I think c will be here 
until the trade deadline, if not, maybe gone a little bit before that. Um, Rainey, I'm enjoying a lot. And uh, he has been kind of tantalizing the last couple of years. But um, he he's 29. It's not like he's a young guy at this point in his career. But I feel like he's kind of starting to come into his own. And it's neat to see him hopefully lock down that closer role. So, you know, all around, other than a few guys like both and, and Machado. And, you know, I like what I see. And I like seeing Hunter Harvey make his debut. That was cool, too. Yeah, it it is cool to see how the I mean, they're all well, most of them are relatively young but like how the relative unknowns will factor into this bullpen and potentially contribute in a good way. Because like I said, we seemingly have four guys already pretty locked in. So that leaves three, maybe four spots to, to fill out. And you would assume Espino has one of them as like the long reliever fireman role. So you have like four guys competing for two spots and a couple of them with pretty good statements so far early in the season. Um, but let's move on. Yeah. Good problem to have. It's so backwards. Like we have great teams, terrible bullpens, and now we have a terrible team, seemingly okay. Bullpen. Like, I wish this would have been around earlier would have, you know, kept some years on my life. Um, but moving on to the lineup game one, great game two, not great, but understandable because it's hard to motivate yourself to do well when you're down by 10 in the third inning. So understandable game three, you went up against Max Freed. So I understand not lighting up the scoreboard, but the issues in the Mets series still are present in the Brave series in my mind, with the exception of Michael Franco, who unfortunately we have to talk about, but <laughs> credit where credit is due. He was insane. In the series, I believe he went eight for 12 home runs. I, he had like seven RBIs. Uh, just on fire. So credit where credit is due. Um, but even with Michael Franco fig- figuring it out, your seven through nine are still terrible. And I made this point in the spaces today. So if you're in the spaces, I apologize for repeating myself. But I was watching the Dodgers game earlier today, and the Dodgers seven, eight, nine in their lineup went back to back to back home runs. Meanwhile, the Nats seven through nine in their lineup today didn't get on base once. They went 0 for 13 with you know, like six strikeouts. It It's just, and, and I'm not bringing that up as like a, a comparison between the two teams. Everyone knows the Dodgers are miles and miles ahead of the Nats. But the, the point is the issues are still there. The bottom half of the, of the lineup is still terrible. And if it's going to be like that, you're not going to be able to be bailed out at least as much by the top half of your lineup, by the strength of your lineup, because there's no one on base. And, you know, pitchers can just go right at guys. And you've seen that some of these pitchers are not afraid to, to pitch to, and I'm sure Ryan will talk about it, but some of these pitchers are not afraid to pitch to Nelson Cruz because aside from the one game, he's been pretty, pretty cold at the plate. Josh Bell has been on fire. He, he's awesome. But this Nats lineup is very easy to dissect in my mind. And that seemed to be the strength in a lot of people's minds coming into the season. And it's very much not it's, it's ironic that the pitching we expected everyone or everyone expected that it would cost us games. And that's really the only thing keeping us in games right now is the pitching. Amanda, what are your thoughts on the lineup? Well, 
they've definitely, you know, Michael Franco had a, a crazy series. There was one game, was it five RBIs? Like he was four for five with five RBIs. Yeah, that first game. game. Yeah, it was fantastic. And it's it was great to see somebody from the, the lower half of the order, um, you know, kind of light up a little bit. But you're right. I mean, there's no arguing with it. The, the bottom half has been awful. And, you know, everybody talks about it's an argument with the DH, like, oh, you've only got eight people in your lineup, not nine. You should have the DH. Well, when you've only got six guys in your lineup, maybe five, you know, you, you hamstrung yourself. And if the top, even if the top half is getting on base, if the bottom half of the order can't drive and runs, then, you know, you're, you're not going to win a lot of games that way. And it's nice to see that the pitching has, you know, picked the team up a little bit, but the lineup, just like you said, Nick, the lineup issues haven't gone away. Uh, And, you know, Franco can be a streaky hitter and, you know, he had a fantastic series, but I don't think we're going to see that you know, in any sort of, with any sort of regularity and, no, you know, Robles is a black hole. I mean, just a black hole. Like I, I, I can't understand why. I mean, I guess like we've talked about it already, like they're going to see what they have in him, but again, we know it's not a competitive season, but as a, from a fan perspective, it's hard to watch them, you know, trot guys out there every day who can't compete. So I, I, I still don't feel great about the lineup. Bell's been unbelievable. Soto is Soto. Cruz is, you know, he's, you know, he's in his forties. He's still got a lot of power in his bat when he connects, but he's, he's not as formidable as he once was. And, uh, you know, Hernandez has been, he's been okay up at the top of the order, you know, not as bad as I expected. So I really do feel like the top, you know, five, six of the orders is doing fine, but the bottom, the bottom three are unacceptably bad. Yeah. The, the problem with Hernandez right now, like his bat's starting to heat up a little bit. He's not getting shifted to death as much as he did in the Met series, but I think his average is 276 and his on-base percentage is 300. Not so really he has like lead one off walk stuff. and his OPS is like 576. So he's not really doing the leadoff guy duties yet. Like he's gotten on base. He's gotten on base. I think the last three games at, you know, first at bat at the game, he's gone on base. I, I believe so. If I'm remembering the last game against the Mets correctly, but he, he's fine. Like you said, and he's okay. Like Yadiel has been fine um, and all this stuff. But it, again, there's just too many weaknesses in this lineup. Ryan, how are you feeling about your curse of Nelson Cruz? Are, are, you, are you proud of it still or are you regretting it because this lineup sucks? I mean, the lineup is going to suck regardless. And like <laughs> the lineups, <laughs> the lineup's doing exactly what I expected it to. It's a tale of the good and the bad. You have the good with Juan Soto, 920 OPS. The good with Josh Bell, who's hit safely every single game this year. His OPS is over one. Michael Franco had his annual series where he just goes off after starting over, went absolutely off against the Braves. Now he's hitting 346 after hitting zero after the first couple of games. Um, the over 20 he's going to have next is really going to stink. You have the good with Ruiz, who's hitting 300 on the season. OPS a little over 700 as well. Yadiel's look decent at times. Nelson. Cruz is struggling. He can't handle the pressure of being my guy. I'm going to hate for no reason. Also not really concerned about Nelson Cruz bit aside. He's going to be fine. He's going to do what he always does, but there's a lot of bad. The bottom half of the lineup stinks. Um, LC's Escobar is hitting 0.053 and his OPS is about 130. Sorry, a little bit lower than that. Um, Riley Adams, backup catcher. 
you know, they're going to play him at Pierce after. Well, I mean, it, it made sense why Ruiz was right. in the lineup. He caught like 300 pitches in a long game and a noon game. No catcher is going to play. But Riley Adams is hitless in the times that he's played. Um, Lane Thomas hasn't looked good this year at all. He's looked lost against lefties as well as he normally is against righties. He has just three hits and 20 at bats. His OPS is below 400. Victor Robles couldn't hit water if he jumped out of a boat right now. He's 0 for 15. His OPS is a 0.063. He got hit by a pitch. He's mm-hmm. whiffed on bunts. He's hit line drive bunts back of the pitcher. And every, he's trying to bunt to get on because I think the Nats realize, well, it's going to be the only thing he can do. And he can't even get on that way. Like, it's just the fall Robles has had is just absolutely ridiculous. And the thing is, like, they're going to have to keep playing him because they don't have anyone else. It's Soto. It's Thomas, who's struggling mightily right now. It's Robles, who's a disaster. Stevenson, um, again, Stevenson's not good. And then the next outfielder after that is that uh, prospect they traded for in the Max Scherzer trade last year. That's it. They only have that there. Yeah, Dom and Casey. So, I mean, the lineup's a tale of two halves. Like I said, everyone knew that's what was going to be this year. You got the good and you got the bad. Um, Hernandez leading off every single game with a hit. That's fine. Hasn't done much after that, but he helped start all three series. Sorry, all three games of series with an early lead because he was getting on. And then the guys after him, Soto, Bell, um, and then whoever has been hitting after Bell, it's been rotating between Ruiz and Franco has been driving them in early in the first inning. And that's working. That's going well. And then just turns into a black hole. Don't really know what else there is to do for the bottom of the order. They're just going to have to keep throwing these guys out and hope they figure it out. But if Escobar keeps struggling like this, I'm pretty sure we're going to see Garcia up a lot sooner than the Nationals wanted him to. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's Let everything. Yeah, that's well, that's what people are asking right now is like, when, when does Luis Garcia get the call? Because both uh, Alcides Escobar and Lucius Fox have not been great at the plate. Lucius Fox had a couple cool moments, but otherwise he's not been great at the plate. Like he's hitless, just like Alcides Escobar has been since opening day. So yeah, everybody if, was kind of if, clamoring for Fox and then he got in the right, game and we were like, Ooh. that quickly, yeah, <laughs> that quickly dissipated. But if Garcia can give you something at the plate, you know, you start having that conversation in your head. Ah, do I take the errors that come with Luis Garcia playing short? You at least have that conversation. And like Ryan said, it's a lot sooner than the, than the Nats probably wanted to. They put Garcia in AAA for a reason. They need him to develop and work on his game. He's not going to be a completely different ball player after six games in AAA. Like th- they need to leave him down there. They need to leave him down there. I just don't know if they can. I mean, they could, but I guess why not cost, just let basically? him develop here? I would rather have good offense than good defense at this we, we, point. But like, it, in a it's, season it's that doesn't different. It, like Ryan, I'll let you touch on this because I, I know you've said this before, but just bringing guys up too early can completely shatter them. And granted, Luis Garcia has been up before at times, but again, they, they put him in AAA for a reason. If they thought he was okay developing at the major league level, <clears throat> excuse me, they would have done it. They, they wouldn't have called up Lucius Fox, right? They, they would, if uh, Adrianza got hurt and they're like, oh, well, Escobar isn't that good anyways. We can just play Garcia every day and yeah, reevaluate when Adrianza gets back. That's one thing. But they called up Lucius Fox first. And that kind of tells me what I need to know 
about the situation. Like Garcia is not ready yet, but Ryan, what are your thoughts on that? The the Garcia situation is so weird. I, it doesn't really make a lot of sense because yes, calling up a guy too early can completely ruin them developmentally, but that kind of goes out the the window when you are a team that's clearly rebuilding and not going to be competing this year. Like the nationals are going to be like, sometimes you have to let these guys learn at the major league level and figure it out. They've done that with Victor Robles. They gave Kibum a lot of like opportunities. It's really weird who they give a lot of opportunities to and who they don't. Um, Garcia struggled defensively. He clearly wasn't ready defensively. The bat was there at times offensively wasn't, but like, he played most of the season 2020, he played half the season up in 2021. It's just weird. He's down now. Um, like, I don't know what they're expecting to see from him offensively in AAA. It might be just see how he does defensively, but like LC Escobar isn't a good defender. So you're not really right. losing much. If you have Luis Garcia up playing short, the left side infield's bad defensively right now anyways, because Michael Franco's defensively one of the worst def- uh, third baseman there is in his career. Like, you're not losing much. I don't know. It, it doesn't make much sense to me. I think they want to fine-tune his defense a little bit and let him get more used to shortstop before he comes up. That's the only thing that kind of makes sense because LC's Escobar really isn't providing much. Yeah, I agree with that, and that's that's the thing. He's been up so much already. It's not like he's a green player who's never been up, and you don't want to ruin him because he's not ready. You know what I mean? He's already been up at the major league level. I just I don't see what you're gaining by keeping him down there. If you're worried about his defense, like who cares? This you know we're not planning on competing anyway. Why not let him see major league pitching and keep developing offensively at at this level while he works on his defense? Yeah, I. I don't know <laughs> like yeah, Ryan it's said, just a it's weird been one. kind of confusing how some guys get really long leashes but garcia they uh sorry my computer's about to restart i have to stop that um <laughs> but it's it just yeah, it doesn't make any sense garcia, why is garcia why is he down when you've given so many other players the opportunity yeah. to be up when they're no further along in their development than he seems to be right now exactly and i was just looking at their uh, the pipeline rankings for their prospects. Cause I remembered uh, looking at it during the off season or whenever it was that Yasel and tuna, his um, projected MLB date that they do, which can change. It's not like a, a firm deadline or anything like that, but his projected deadline was 2022. So I was like, Oh, you know, let, let me just take a peek and see if some, for some reason he might leapfrog Garcia uh yeah he's he's in high a um so so i don't think i don't think he's going to skip from high a to the mlb um not that he's going to be a bad player i'm looking at his stats through a couple games he's hitting like 400 900 ops so he's doing well but i don't think he's necessarily going to make that jump this year uh that would be even more than the jump soto made and they kind of got lucky jumping Soto from double A to the majors without triple A experience. Um, but yeah, the, the lineup's going to be a, a big question mark. They're going to have to really lean on their pitching, but if their starters can start going deeper, which it's probably a, a, a large task considering who we have, but if their starters can go deeper, they can remain competitive. I'm not going to really change my thoughts on their overall win totals because I think they do trade a lot at the deadline, but they, they it might not be such a drag early on in the season that we might have thought it 
could have been previously. So and hopefully they'll see. start going deeper into games just based on being stretched out and getting a little further into the season. And yeah, even if they're giving up runs, yeah. seven innings, five runs, like that's still a good start for your bullpen. Right. As long it's as you're, you're getting your team, more, but yeah, getting more innings from the starters right. will take a lot of pressure off the bullpen. So even if they're not winning those games, that would be a welcome right. development. Exactly. So, all right, before we move on, I want to bring up the half street high heat Patreon. Again, uh, we are in full swing right now. I know I've been talking about it a lot. Don't care. It, it, it's awesome. It, it's awesome to see how all four shows and everybody's content has been coming together. We have things coming out every day, if not multiple times a day. Today, for instance, we had an episode of the amateur update with Monty and then Matt Holleran released his picks for the pickoff, uh, the Half Street High Heat Gambling Show. So far, some of the games haven't finished yet. So far, I believe he's two and one, um, but it look, oh, he just cashed another one. So he's three and one with two other games looking likely to go in his, in his favor. So hot start for Matt Holleran. But hot start for the Patreon as a whole. We appreciate everyone who has signed up. And I think, well, I I haven't heard anything bad, but I think everyone's kind of enjoying the content and we're definitely enjoying doing it. If you haven't checked out the Patreon yet, I highly encourage you to do so. It it is a paid platform for us. But again, the content is worth it. And if you don't want anything, you just want a show here, content there, whatever, there are lower tiers that you can kind of just pay for what you want. And if you only want a couple of things, but don't want everything, there are mix and match options as well. So it is a very, you know, kind of user friendly, only pay for what you need type platform. At least that's what we try to do. I highly recommend just getting the ultimate bundle, $10 a month. You get literally everything you could ever want. We have multiple shows coming out every single week. Amanda and Allison just did their first episode, the Pitch Perfect podcast, which was awesome and nice retrospective on Nat's opening day and the starters of yesteryear, so to speak. I mean, there's honestly a couple that I had forgotten about, (laughs) but good retrospective (laughs) uh, for Nat's if you like history, Nat's history and baseball history and kind of just taking a trip down memory lane. Um, which I, I mean, I shouldn't be surprised that Amanda's doing that, but you know, Hey, it was, it was a good episode. It was good baseball content and you can enjoy that. Head on over to Patreon, search half street, high heat, or just go to patreon.com slash half street, high heat. And you will find our Patreon, all the tiers. Um, I definitely encourage you guys to subscribe, but if you don't, that's perfectly fine. We're still going to continue doing the show, which we have loved doing for three years and going on four now. So we appreciate it. And now here is Ryan with your week in review. Thanks, Nick. Um, our first week in review of the 2020 season is here. The bi- biggest and best news, in my opinion, of the weekend. Giants coach Alyssa Notkin became the first woman to make an on-field MLB appearance. She was a base coach during the game. Guardians rookie Stephen Kwan was off to a historic start. He started the season 10 for 15 with seven walks to begin his career. He reached base 18 times in his first five career games. That's the most on most times on base in the players' first five games since 1901. He also went 100. 15 straight pitches without a swing and miss. That is the most consecutive pitches to start a season since 2000. Blue Jays offense has 10 runs to start the season, but that could be ruined by a bad bullpen. 
uh, they surrendered 11 straight runs to the Rangers for their first loss of the season. The Guardians and A's are the league's top two offenses, just like everyone predicted. Guardians have 45 runs, and the A's have 36 runs through six games. Through one week, the Rays and Rockies have MLB's best win percentage. They both have a record of four and one. The Marlins, Orioles, and Rangers are tied with MLB's lowest win percentage. They are all one and four. <clears throat> Looking at the NL East after the first week of the season, in last place are the one and four Marlins. They got two games swept by the Angels, but things have looked kind of good on the pitching end. Jesus Lazardo struck out 12 in his season debut for the team. They have the Phillies next for their home opener. Nationals are tied with three and four record, and we'll continue to talk about them. Uh, tied with them as well are the three and four Braves. The early season Braves are the underachieving team that keeps on giving. This is the fifth straight year that they're under 500 through the first week. They're a little banged up but they head out West for what would be a very fun four game set against the Padres. You'll never believe it. The Philadelphia Phillies are 500. They are in second and three and three at the end of the first week. Their offense has shown their might and their offense is pretty damn good. Their defense has surprisingly been okay outside of Alec Baum, who had three errors. And he said he effing hates this place after he owned up to it. Said, yeah, I did say that. He got a standing O and now they're selling shirts and Phillies fans love him. Philly, what a great place. But the Phillies through the first week have shown that their offense will have to carry weight as their pitching has been in consistent they play the marlins next in first place are the five and two mets all the talk of injuries and concerns that they've all the concerns that they have they look pretty damn good so far their offense leads the nl in batting average hits ops and wrc plus their pitching staff is deep even without jacob Degrom, that rotation is still dirty they have a very good case for being seven and oh they lost both their games by just one run and led late in both of them as well they play the diamondbacks up next and look to continue their hot start this has been your first week in review of the young 2022 season and now back to you nick thanks ryan i missed the week in reviews it's like i get a nice little recap for uh all the games i missed because i just have too much going on Obviously, the, some of the Nats games have been lasting like five hours. So it's just like we've had I, some I just, late Twitter space. Yeah, I'm kind of just <laughs> like burnt out. So the weekend review is always a blessing for us and uh, obviously for the listeners as well. All right. Looking forward to the future. Well, the upcoming series. It is the future, technically, if, if you want to be technical about it. But the upcoming series, we have the Pirates for is it four games? Yeah, because tomorrow is Wednesday. So four games against the Pirates um and then the d-backs and then the diamondbacks right and this is the stretch i alluded to earlier when you have four against the pirates and then four against the diamondbacks it's kind of insert spider-man meme here where both teams are pointing at each other as like winnable a winnable series right <laughs> like it, it's mm -hmm. it's an opportunity for the nats like i said earlier you're not going to win the division or lock up a playoff spot in april but Davey Martinez is not going to be telling the, the team that. And, you know, the professionals like your Juan Soto, your Josh Bell, your Nelson Cruz, all those guys, they're not going to be behaving like they're a sub 500 team, like they're a 65 win team on paper. They're going to be behaving like they're still fighting for a wild card spot or well, <laughs> fighting for a playoff spot. I'll be more specific. Like I'm sure the division's still in their sights. It's early in the season. 
or it's too early in the season to take your eye off that if you're, you know, in the clubhouse and, and whatnot. So this is a big opportunity and it can kind of get something going again. I'm not projecting them to be a playoff team. I'm not going to come off that until August. Like I said, when they really prove themselves to be formidable, but they can at least be exciting, especially through this next eight games. We're not going to seemingly get all of the dragged out poor starts. I mean, we might get poor starts, (laughs) but the poor performances, I'll put it that way that we have seen through the Mets and the Braves. Because I think after the Braves series, right, and how that lineup fared against uh, Rodgers and Gray in the bullpen, at least I am, I'm giving more credit to the Mets lineup. The Mets lineup looks pretty deep. And are, are they as good as the Phillies lineup? No, but the Mets have the pitching the Phillies don't, especially if DeGrom comes back healthy. That won't be it for a couple months. But if he comes back healthy, the Mets are all of a sudden a force. If they can just stay above water, which typically through Seems like June, they are so far, <laughs> right through June in the NL East, the top team is always just treading water. It's not they're like they're running away with the division. They're always treading water. Usually, it's always the Phillies, and then the Phillies fall and the Braves take over, and the rest is history. But if the Mets can, you know, stay afloat, then they get Degrom back, and that's obviously a huge boost to their team. Not that this is a Met segment, but for the Nats perspective. These are eight, you know, winnable games in their mind. And even to us, like, it looks fairly easy. After that, you get the Giants, good pitching. Marlins, good pitching. You get the Giants again in San Francisco, good pitching. You get the Rockies, which it's the Rockies, but it's Coors. So, you know, anything can happen, really. And then you get the Angels, the Mets, the Astros, the Marlins. Like, it doesn't get any easier. Like, this is the easy stretch you need to take advantage of and just so happens to be in the second week of the season. So you got to run, you got to run with it. There's no, no choice in the matter. Like you got to run with it. Yeah. I, I imagine they're feeling pretty good coming out of that brave. Series oh yeah. When, I mean that too, you know, they're riding pretty high. I would imagine um, heading into Pittsburgh. And I think right now we're going to learn a lot about who the Nats are. They, I think, at least for me, I can't speak for everybody, but they've surprised me. Um, they're not as much of a doormat of a team as I was kind of expecting them to be. Um, the pitching has been better. Parts of the lineup have been, have been really good. And uh, the, these are teams where if you actually aren't as bad as everybody thought you were going to be, you should be beating up on these two teams, like the, the pirates and the diamondbacks, you should be good. I mean, obviously you're not going to win all eight, but you should be winning both of these series. In my opinion, if you're, if you're actually, if they think of themselves, as you pointed out, Nick, if they're thinking of themselves as a potential playoff contender, which I don't think is realistic, but as you said, these guys aren't, you know, these are competitive professional baseball players. They're not thinking to themselves, we're a 65 win team. Why bother? You know, they're going to go in there and try to compete. So if you actually are what you think you might be, then these two series should be very winnable. And it gets a lot harder after that. And it wouldn't be funny to see if the Nats can wind up atop the NL East, even if just for a very brief time during the stretch. Maybe it motivates guys. Maybe it, you know, provides a little uh, juice to some guys like, Hey, I need to get my act together. We're in first place right now. It, yeah. and it, it's April. It's the second week. See, I understand that, but I don't know. Giants may won like 103 games last year. I don't know. <laughs> like uh, I, I'm not expecting much of this team, but I'm not going to count them out until I have to. It, you just got to shift your 
perspective a little bit when the team is what it is like the Nats are. Ryan, what are your thoughts on these next eight games? Um, looking at the schedule and I just realized the Nats are giving up the most runs in baseball. I just realized that. Yeah, there was a couple of blowout losses that um, had those. Stats. Well, and we Patrick do have Corbin, Patrick Corbin in our starting and Austin both. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but both these teams are have been rather interesting this year. Um, their pitching has looked solid. Both these teams' pitchings has looked pretty good so far. The offense for both has been inconsistent as well. On paper, they're even with both of these teams. You like to see them win three or four, potentially sweep Pittsburgh. Will it? You don't know. Um, but both these teams have had their inconsistencies. Again, it's only been a week. Every team has had their inconsistencies. But we're talking nine runs one night, zero the next, zero then two. Kind of like the Nats offense has been a little bit. So it's very interesting to see if the bad pitching shows up. Like we've seen a couple of those games, it's going to be a little rough. If they can get even average pitching against these next eight games, that'll look pretty good um, because on paper they are even with these teams you can make an argument well sorry i mean it's not you know it's make too big of an argument they are better even on paper than these two teams probably one of the only few that are worse than them so you gotta take advantage of these games might be tough to get wins and series wins this year so this is a nice little scheduling potentially scheduling victory but as we've often seen scheduling victories don't always turn out yeah that's true one thing Speaking of schedule scheduling victories, uh, that's a perfect segue. Uh, the Pirates games all start at 630. Well, aside from Sunday, they start at 635. I kind of like that. I like that too. I got last night. I was too tired. I fell asleep in the middle of the game. And God, uh, last, I mean, last night was brutal, but <laughs> it, it's 30 minutes. But I don't know. It's just like a 635 start. It, it's it probably poor for, like for ticket time. sales and stuff because I like, got people getting off work and and whatnot that's just not a lot of time to get to the, to the park before it starts but yeah, i i like it as a you know someone not going to the game <laughs> i just start it i don't care so i kind of like these 635 starts yeah me too it's interesting that they made that move but it's not like the pirates are ever tops in attendance either especially on weekday games so something to watch it's it, even if the uh the series turns ugly uh one Josh Bell revenge series two mm-hmm. uh, PNC park is beautiful. It's best park in, in the entire MLB. So a couple of silver linings there for the Nats upcoming series against the pirates. And we'll be back on Monday to uh, preview. We'll recap the pirate series, but also preview the Diamondbacks. So we'll get, dive a little bit deeper into the Diamondbacks on Monday when you hear us again. Um, but series predictions for the pirates. Mm, three of four. Three or four. Ryan, what about you? Um, I say they split. Split. I'm going to go split as well. Um, they just coming off uh, what I imagine is a high right now, taking two of three from the Braves. Feels like we're due for maybe one more letdown game than usual. So uh, it, it's, you know, it, it's probably a split <laughs> if I had to imagine, but maybe I'm just hedging a little bit. So it's better to be pleasantly surprised than disappointed. So three or four for Amanda and then a split for Ryan and myself. All right, before we get out of here, we're going to wrap up with our one big thing. And mine is a question for you guys. I'm kind of flipping this on its head a little bit. Something we haven't talked about because again, we're just getting uh, you know back to doing these types of episodes, this format of episodes 
uh, as the season is still young. I want to talk about Josiah Gray. Our ace, my ace, Josiah Gray. What does a successful season for him look like? Is it the amount of innings? Is it the ERA? I, I mean, I don't think either of you would say wins, but does record factor into this? Are we just looking at advanced metrics? Like what's a successful season in your mind for Josiah Gray? That is an excellent question. I don't care about wins. That's a stupid stat for pitchers. Um, I would say a really successful season for him would be four ish or under ERA and at least 25 to 30 starts. I would say, I'm assuming, you know, at some point, everybody seems to get injured at some point during the season. Hardly ever do the Nats have a pitcher who actually makes 30 plus starts. I'd love to see it, but I would say if, if he made 25 to 30 starts with a sub four ERA, I would consider that a very successful season for him. Ryan, what about you? Um, I would say success again. I don't really care about wins, but seeing him get into the sixth inning and beyond successfully, like being able to consistently face the third time through a lineup as the season goes on and be successful in that. If you're looking for an ERA sub four, seven, to be completely honest with you, but seeing him develop his pitches more and get more consistency on his fastball. If he can start locating his fastball better throughout the zone as the season goes on, it'll be a very, very successful season. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I'm looking at innings and obviously there's going to be a, a plethora of advanced metrics and stuff like that. You're going to be able to use to really evaluate his season, but just as a, a blanket, measurement for me i'm looking at innings and ryan i believe you said it like just getting into the fifth and sixth or mainly the sixth inning consistently you know if he makes 30 starts factor in maybe an aisle a potential aisle stint or whatever uh i'm not hoping for that but it happens 30 starts six innings that's 180 innings so that's just kind of my you know again blanket measurement for how successful his season is because to average six innings, a start over 30 starts, you're not going to have so many games where you're, you know, gone in the second inning or the third inning, like Patrick Corbin was, you're going to be consistently pitching deep into games. You might have some that go like four or five, and then some go that, that go seven or eight, but overall you're pitching deep into the game. So that's kind of the mark I'm using. It's not without its flaws, but I would like Josiah Gray to just be able to, pitch deep into games like ryan mentioned i I view that as a success so obviously a great start today it wasn't the sixth inning but i will take it um i have no complaints about it but i think going forward consistency is going to be key with him and it's something ryan's been mentioning a a lot with the nats ability or seemingly lack thereof to develop pitchers and they're going to still need to develop gray to be a little bit more consistent than he has been. And I hope he gets there. So that was just a a fun little exercise that I have for you guys. I wanted to see your thoughts on Josiah Gray, because I mean, I still love him. Like the way everyone feels about K bear Ruiz. I feel about Josiah Gray right here. Oh, well, you can't see me, but I'm touching my chest. I feel it (laughs) deep in my soul. Like I love Josiah Gray. So all right, what are you guys? You got a one big thing before we head out? I, um, I've got, we didn't talk, I think we talked about it in one of the spaces, but we haven't talked about it here is the Nats ownership selling the team. Oh, it's definitely damn, a big thing. That's, yeah. I had it on my notes, but then yeah, I was like, oh, we'll talk we'll about, for an hour. 
Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So um, kind of shocking news. I definitely didn't see it coming. Um, they've made, you know, they've made mention in the past about how they never want to sell the team and they want to keep it in the family. And um, I'm assuming it's a financial issue. They mentioned they weren't making as much money from real estate, like whatever. I'm, I have a hard time believing they're, you know, so poor they can't afford the team anymore. But if they don't want the team anymore, then I'm kind of fine with that. I, I'm a little apprehensive because I, there's kind of a like devil, you know, versus the devil, you don't know thing. There are, there are many worse owners in baseball than the learners. So I would hate to get someone worse than they are. Um, Leonsis is apparently making some noise about being interested. There's lots of talk about Jeff Bezos potentially being interested. I even heard somebody mention Elon Musk, although I don't know why he would be interested in owning a team in Washington, DC, but, um, yeah, I'm kind of excited isn't the wrong word, but I'm kind of hopeful it would be neat to get an owner in who, you know, had a fresh take and maybe would blow up the um, player development and rebuild it better. Um, I would really love to see that. But I'm also a little nervous that, you know, we could wind up with with someone who's worse than what we have now. So I guess I'll, I'll pull Nick's move here and throw it to you guys. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, my initial thought, I was pissed. Uh, not because we're potentially losing the owners, but it really explains the last couple of off seasons. Mm-hmm. Like we, we have not been active at all. And I understand every team needs a reset at, at one point or another. And the Nats was probably overdue. I understand that, but especially this past off season with how talent rich it was, it made no sense. I don't want to argue with anyone about it anymore. It made no sense not to lock up another foundational piece to pair with Juan Soto. No sense. Even if it was uh, as simple as extending Josh Bell, it made no sense not to lock up another piece, but it makes, makes sense, sense why. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense why it didn't make sense because the learners were so up in the air about their future. It's like checked you know, out is the term I used the other night. I think they're checked yeah. out. Like they don't want to incur any huge contracts right now because they aren't planning on keeping the team. And it made me feel sorry. It made me feel kind of like a kinship with those teams, the fan bases whose ownership don't care about winning and don't ever try to put a competitive product on the field. Cause it's not, it doesn't feel good. I don't like it. Right. And I was talking to Ryan about this and Ryan, I'll, I'll let you speak for yourself. I'm not going to you know put words in your mouth, but just the, how does this affect the Juan Soto situation? Because we know they offered him a contract 13 years, 350 million, which is not anywhere close to what Juan Soto would get on the open market, but it, it's a significant offer, right? It, it's a payroll altering offer nonetheless. So are they going to do something like the Marlins? And I don't remember the Marlins previous owner before they sold it in like 2018. Are they going to pull a Marlins and lock up John Carlos Stanton? And then obviously everyone knows once the new owners came in, they traded John Carlos Stanton. That was actually like Derek Jeter's first move. Um, or like, are the learners going to just leave Juan Soto as is sell the team and the new owner can deal with it. Or are they going to try to lock up Juan Soto and then try to pawn off the team? Like, hey, you got one of the best players in baseball. Pay a little bit more for my team type deal. So I'm thinking more in terms of the roster and how we go about these moves or how we have gone about these moves. Obviously, a new owner will impact spending and how aggressive they are. But until we get that new owner, we know who it is. It's kind of hard to to tell it's all just conjecture like we we hope it's more like a steve cohen as opposed to 
uh, whoever owns the Marlins now, but we, we won't know until it happens. Uh, Ryan, however, I mean, this guy's on it, immediately put out a, a list of five people or families that could potentially buy the Nats. Ryan, do you have a favorite from your list on, you know, who you would like to buy the Nats potentially, or who, you know, is the favorite to buy the Nats? Yeah. You know, touching a little bit on what you said, things do make sense. Um, it seemed like their priority this off season was finding ways to increase revenue around the stadium, which is fine. Um, so they're kind of like creating what is already a very attractive sports franchise to own for a billionaire making it even more profitable but there's a lot of a lot of rich people in this area that they can choose from obviously bezos is a dream um he's a terrible human being and a criminal criminals have very proven uh if they're going to teams they're going to spend so bring we need some mafia mentality i'm for it exactly no <laughs> but in all in all reality the the nationals probably the learners are probably going to sell and it's probably going to happen by the before 2023 whoever it is it's going to come from the monumental sports board i would love the mars family to take over um yes the m&m's reese's i'm mean, not reese's sorry that's hershey but m&m's family they are very very wealthy they'd be the wealthiest family in sports they have a long history of being involved with sports they just backed out nascar so they might be looking to get a little bit more involved that would be great as well. If not them, I would love to see Steve Case and Richard Fairbank kind of go hand to hand together. Fairbank, local guy. His name's Fairbank, and he's you know with Capital One. That's destiny. Rich as hell. Stephen Case. I see Ooh. naming rights. <laughs> <laughs> I see a new stadium. Stephen Case has been very, very involved with uh, fantasy sports and getting online gambling where it is now the Nats are doing pretty big push with some gambling he also owns an esports franchise and he's on the board with my mill sports so i i really think it's going to come from someone in the board at my mill sports if it's ted leonis i feel like it's going to be one of those situations where ted gets 51 percent and the rest of the board gets 49 and then we just pray to god that it's the caps ted not the wizards ted it takes over but there's some more favorable names it's one, I am willing to guarantee that's going to come from the monumental sports board, though. Like anyone who's talked about that's not in the board might be a waste of time. I think you, you make a lot of great points. And, you know, just putting the pieces of the puzzle together retroactively, like we did with the inactivity during the offseason, it makes sense that the Nats are the first team to pair with BetMGM. It makes sense that aren't they using like Bitcoin now for payment? Uh, and stuff like that. It, it, it makes sense that they're trying to do all these uh, forward thinking, uh, you know, strategies and, and moves because it makes it more appealing for a, a potential sale. Like the Nats are not a forward thinking and progressive franchise for Christ's sake. They just introduced Xwoba to their pitching staff today. And, and that's like, a, it's an advanced metric, but it's been generally you know it's not a new regarded <laughs> yeah for a while now and they just introduced it today like this is not a forward-thinking franchise they are behind in so many regards so the fact that they're leading the charge on you know a uh, betting platform partnership and, and esports and uh oh, i don't know if they're doing esports but i meant like bitcoin and, and all this stuff it, it makes sense especially if they're trying to pitch it to the monumental board which mark Lerner is a part of 
So he he's buddy buddy with all these you know rich billionaires that he could just you know, give his team to. Like it, it makes sense that you know he's trying to appeal to the Case family, like Ryan mentioned, or the Fairbank family, because he's like aligning interests basically, which isn't a terrible strategy because I would rather have an owner that is interested in this team than a disinterested owner, obviously. So I'm not faulting him for that. But again, we're just putting the pieces of the puzzle together retroactively and seeing why they were so focused on seemingly everything, but the on-field production and what was going on on the field. Cause they're trying to, to sell even the area around national spark, which I know isn't entirely them, but you best believe they have a hand in it. Like you, you see that now it looks completely different from it from a year ago from two years ago especially so they're really like i believe they're fully trying to sell there was idea that maybe it was just a minority stake i think they're really trying to sell to be honest the washington post out of a scale of one to ten with one being like just reshuffling some finances and some tax stuff and 10 selling washington post put it at an eight also, the timing of announcing it's very smart because Liberty Media is supposed to look to sell the Braves next season. And then you also okay. have a couple of expansion teams potentially looming. So it's smart sure. to announce this now. Any of those people who like really, really want to get down the team, you can also drive the price up pretty high. And with the commander seemingly, well, we, I feel like this conversation comes up once every two years at least, if not more often. But obviously an NFL team is seemingly on, on the surface more uh, desirable to own for a billionaire than an MLB franchise. So well, getting everyone, ahead out I, of that. Everyone with the commanders is going to be escorted out of the building by the FBI. <laughs> yeah, so, that's true. Like, <laughs> that's they got, true. They got different things going on there. Let just us from manifest a business, that outcome, right, please. Just from a business aspect, it makes sense to get ahead out of that too before more NFL teams because even the Chargers, I'm a Chargers fan, like there's rumors of them. The Broncos are currently for sale. So it's like all of these billionaires are kind of putting um, uh, what's ownership groups together, like for proposed for proposals. So if all of these billionaires are already kind of preparing for that, it makes sense to do it now. And like Ryan said before, some of the other uh, MLB teams put up for sale as well. So they're nailing it from the business side, but they completely checked out, like Amanda said, on the baseball side of it. And that's really frustrating because that's as fans, that's all we care about. So. Ryan, you got a one big thing? No, uh, I thought I, I just had one more thing. I, I just fine. enjoyed that combo. <laughs> yeah, no, that was good. I, I meant to do that earlier, but then I was like, oh, man, we talked about that for an hour. We're good. <laughs> yeah, I know. But, it's funny. I keep, I'm starting to forget what we talked about in the episodes versus the spaces. <laughs> yeah, that's the one unforeseen consequence and not like a bad thing, but like consequence of the spaces. Like I, I, I give great points in the spaces. But then in my mind, when we record, I'm like, oh, I've already talked about that. So I never I know. know what I've said. And you have to start so. making a list when you do the spaces of your great points. Check so it twice. Sure that you bring them up stuff. during the episodes. Yeah. But speaking of which, we're doing spaces after every single game. Uh, I mean, we've done one after every single game thus far. We will continue to do so until we just get tired of them. <laughs> but uh, they are a lot of fun. We have a different hosts so we kind of get different um takes and formats and uh you know it's very interactive we get your guys's opinions and, and takes on the games and it's uh it's the instant reaction to some of these games that we haven't been able to always get on the podcast so i highly encourage you guys to check us out at half street high heat on twitter 
check out the post game spaces. We do them, like I said, pretty much after every single game. We've done them after every single game thus far. And with the 635 starts in Pittsburgh, uh, I would imagine we're going to continue doing them for the foreseeable future. So uh, come check it out. It's a good time. And uh, you get to chat with all of us and we can really dive into how the Nats are doing and some player performances and some good storylines. But even if you don't join the spaces, you should still check us out on Twitter at half street, high heat street with an ST follow Amanda at a white seven, eight, seven, seven, Ryan at we are all shack and myself at Nats moose. Be sure to check out the YouTube channel, Trey putting out great stuff, hit that bell. So you subscribe, subscribe to the YouTube and check out half street, high for all your latest blogs, articles, content, merch, all that good stuff, all there. Monty's killing it with the website. Not that there was ever a doubt, but he's absolutely been killing it. And once again, check out the Patreon at patreon.com slash half street high heat. That keeps getting longer and longer. We're just, you know, adding more stuff to, to, to the list. It's true. We're going to have to like take half the, uh, half the episode to, to plug things by the time yeah, we get done. Exactly. <laughs> I'm going to have to automate it. All right. Just record it and then just plug it in and post or whatever. It's, it's getting too long, but that just goes to show how much baseball content we have. That does it for this episode. Again, we will be we will be back on Monday to recap the Pirate Series and talk Diamondbacks and talk Nets, obviously. So we appreciate you listening. Thanks for being a part of everything we're doing here at Half Street High Heat. Again, we will be back on Monday. And in the meantime, let's go Nats. There's a new breeze blowing off the banks of the Potomac. A new team is mowing down the ranks of their opponents. The Nationals are smashing balls, so that the commentator who has the calls has passed the wall to see you later. Dawn, well, you can see they're running scared. Cause the kinds of bombs we're launching are bursting in the air. Tell the Library of Congress that they might not want to look. Cause we're putting curly W's in every book. Let's go, Nats. We've got a game to play. We're gonna win today. Let's go. ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's granger 
offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.